Uh, well, we're going to be focused in Proverbs chapter 5, and I want to begin by just telling you a little bit of a story. It's a true story uh, about something that happened in 2003. And in 2003, my wife and I uh, had a little fire in our home. Uh, but it was a good thing. It was a precious fire, uh, a fire, just a small fire, but uh, we loved that fire. Uh, we benefited from the fire. It was a wonderful little fire. Uh, we kept it in a box uh, all the time. Uh, you probably would call the box a water heater, <laughs> uh, but uh, that's where we kept our fire. It was uh, fed by uh, uh, you know, underground natural gas lines that came into our home and it burned all the time. We loved our little fire. But one day in 2003, lightning struck a tree uh, in our front yard, went through the electrical, went through the, rather the water system, and he got into that box, got into that water heater and destroyed it. And it let the little fire get out. And in fact, uh, all the lights in the house went out because of the lightning and I uh, could smell smoke. I worked my way back to the utility room uh, where the smoke was coming from and I saw in there the little fire. And it had gotten out of the box and it was uh, beginning to work its way up an old beadboard wall and uh, it was uh, worked its way into the attic. Thank you, sir. Worked its way into the attic, and it ultimately burned our house down. Now, this little fire that for years we had cherished, I mean, it was a valuable fire. It allowed us to take hot showers. It allowed us to bathe our little baby girls in those days. It allowed us uh, to wash our dishes and wash our clothes. This little fire that we had cherished, that we had loved for so long, became an enemy that uh, while it didn't take our lives, it destroyed almost everything we owned. It went from being a great blessing to a great curse. Uh, so now let me tell you the story of another little fire. And this other little fire is called sexuality. Uh, it's, a, it's a great gift that God has given to uh, married people, uh, and it can be a, a tremendous blessing. Uh, it is God's beautiful way to uh, bring children into the world. It is God's way for a husband and wife to express love and to enjoy intense pleasure. It is the glue that helps hold a marriage together. Uh, this little fire is wonderful unless it gets outside of the box that God intends for it to be. And if fire gets out of the box of marriage where God desires for this fire to be, then all of a sudden this fire will spread quickly. It will destroy everything that it touches. The heat that brought pleasure will now burn and destroy. When the fire gets out of the box, it turns from a blessing into a curse. And so I want us to do in the next few minutes, we've been working our way through the book of Proverbs. I want us to look and see how God's wisdom instructs us to keep the fire in the box. I, I want to talk to you about how we can be people who keep this fire in the box so that it will always be a blessing for us and never be a curse. Now, as we've worked our way through the book of Proverbs so far, we've, we've learned one thing that we've repeated each week. Wisdom, which is what we're trying to get from the book of Proverbs, wisdom is the intersection of two things. Do you know what those two things are? I've repeated this because I want you at the end of this series to really know this. Wisdom is the intersection of God's instructions and a heart that is surrendered to Christ. 
God's instructions, what we read in the book of Proverbs and the rest of scripture, and a heart that surrendered to Christ. And when those two things come together, it creates wisdom. That's a wise person. Now, one without the other is not very valuable. If you just had God's instructions but did not have a heart surrendered to Christ, you would not be wise. That would just be empty self-help advice. It would go in one ear and out the other ear. It would do you no good at all. So God's God's instruction, apart from a heart surrender to Christ, is of no help. If you had a heart surrender to Christ but did not have God's instruction, it would just be a, a sentimental faith that wouldn't make a difference in your life. But if you could put those two things together, God's instructions and a heart surrender to Christ, you will be a wise person. So how can we be wise when it comes to this uh, great blessing or great curse, depending on whether it's inside or outside the box, this, this blessing of sexuality. So that's what we learned this morning. Now I know some people are thinking, and so I should address this. Let's put all of our cards on the table. Some people are thinking, pastor, why in the world are you talking about this on a Sunday morning? Uh, because this just doesn't apply to me. I don't need to hear a message about keeping the fire in the box. Well, I would disagree. Some people will say I'm in a solid marriage. And so we don't experience temptation. Me and my spouse, there's no temptation for us. Some people will say, pastor, and in fact, some people have told me this this morning because they sort of looked ahead into the outline. Uh, they said, pastor, uh, I am old enough that I have now mastered this and uh, I don't uh, need to hear a message about this. And then some people will perhaps say, I'm just too young or my children are here and they're too young. Uh, to hear anything about sexual sin. Well, let me, let me address that before we get into this. First of all, everyone needs to know God's instructions for several reasons. First of all, we need to know God's instructions just because knowing them honors God. We, we don't just read the Bible because it helps us. I mean, it does help us, but that's not the main motivation for us reading the Bible. We ought to read and study the Bible because it's the Bible because it comes from God. And we ought to just have such an interest, such a passion to know God's word that whether it directly benefits us or not, we want to study God's word. If I get home on Monday afternoon, tomorrow afternoon, and uh, I see my wife for the first time uh, that day, and she says, oh, what a day I've had, I want to tell you about it. And so I sit down and I listen to her first two or three sentences and, and I can tell perhaps after two or three sentences that what she's going to share with me about her day really doesn't benefit me at all. So what if I were to say, now listen, Donna, I can already tell that what you're, what you've got to say is just, it's not, it's, it doesn't benefit me at all. I mean, what you're about to tell me doesn't help me at all. So shut up. I don't want to hear it. Now, how well do you think that would go over? Not well, because I don't just need to listen to my wife because she has something beneficial to say. I mean, oftentimes she does, but I need to listen to my wife because I love her and I cherish her and I want to honor her. And so if, if you think you don't need to hear what God's word has to say about sexuality, even if you don't need to benefit from it and you do, but even if you didn't, you still need to hear it because when we know God's word, it honors him. The second reason you need to hear it is because you will benefit from it. Nobody is immune to sexual temptation. Now, maybe your sexual temptation will be more for physical sexual sin, or maybe your sexual temptation will be more toward uh, sexual sin that happens in the heart and in the mind but I believe that everybody is tempted sexually. I've been pastor long enough to know 
that you don't ever outgrow this temptation. Everybody needs to know what God's word says about this. Uh, number three, you just need to be the salt and light in the world. Uh, we, we need to know this so that we can communicate it with other people. And even if you're 95 years old, you need to, you need to know what God's word says so you can share it with your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. We need to know God's word. And then when people say, well, perhaps um, my children are too young, I think about two things. First, it's good for children to hear the warnings before they experience the temptation. If you wait till your kids are struggling with this, you have waited too long, okay? Don't put the seatbelt on after you have the wreck. Put the seatbelt on before you drive. And so kids don't need to wait until they're in the midst of this battle to hear the instructions. They need to get the instructions first. And children really need to hear about this from God's word, from their parents and from the church before they hear about it in the world. You, you, don't, you don't, as a parent, need to be trying to correct what the world has already taught your kids. You may have to do that. You will have to do that. But you need to be ahead of the world. They need to hear it from you first. And they need to hear it from the church first. And so we're going to see what the Word of God, especially in the book of Proverbs, has to say about sexual temptation. So look with me, Proverbs chapter 5. This is uh, uh, this is a subject that you find throughout the pages of the book of Proverbs, but especially in chapter five. So I'm just going to give you an overview of the chapter. We'll read about half of it here. Um, we'll come back and pick up some of the verses that we leave out, but I want you to get a gist of what this chapter says about uh, the, the, the subject at hand. Now, remember Solomon, uh, wisest man ever is giving this talk to his son to his teenage son. And really this would have been uh, a, a junior hire, a middle schooler uh, that he's talking to. Once you hit 16, 17, you're a, a full grown adult in this, uh, in this day, in Bible day. Uh, so when it says he's talking to his son, he's talking to his uh, 12 year old son. And so when you read this, you have to sort of translate. This is not just for men, this is also for women. Uh, even though the language is gonna be language addressed to men. So it says in chapter five, Verse one, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen closely to my understanding so that you may maintain discretion in your lips, safeguard knowledge. Solomon says, son, you need to know this because this is the path of safety in life. Skip down. Uh, no, let's just keep reading. Verse three says, though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil, in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. So he says, son, even though sexual temptation is going to seem like a great thing to you, you're going to be drawn to it, uh, you need to know that in the end, it's going to bring destruction. Now let's skip down to verse 8. Uh, it says, keep your way far from her. Now the her here is the temptress, is the temptation. So keep your way far from the temptation. Don't go near the door of her house. Otherwise, you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources and your hard-earned pay will end up in a foreigner's house. At the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed. He's talking about the consequences of sexual sin. Look down to verse 15. 
He says, drink water from your own cistern, uh, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams in the public squares, they should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. He's talking about just what you think he's talking about. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving deer, a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you always, be lost in her love forever. He says, why, my son, would you lose yourself with a forbidden woman or embrace a wayward woman? He says, why would you abandon the good marriage that God has given to you? Verse 21, for a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes and he considers all his paths. God knows everything. Verse 22, a wicked man's iniquities will trap him. He will become tangled in the ropes of his own sin. Uh, Nothing captures a person like sexual sin. Verse 23, he will die because there is no discipline and be lost because of his great stupidity. So let me tell you from this chapter, let me show you three or four ways uh, uh, that that we can avoid sexual temptation. Three or four ways that we can keep the flame in the box. Number one, we must not believe Satan's lies. We must not believe Satan's lies. You know, Satan is a liar. The Bible says that that when Satan lies that he speaks his native tongue. Satan is a liar. You may not have known this, but Satan speaks just three times in the Bible. There are three times where there's quote unquote, Satan has spoken. One is in Genesis chapter three, where Satan lies to man about God. The, the, the second one is in Job chapter one, where Satan lies to God about man And then the last one is in Matthew chapter four where Satan is lying to the God-man, Jesus Christ. But every time Satan speaks, Satan lies. And Satan is lying to you and to me about this whole area of sexual sin. Satan's telling you things. Many people are believing what he says, but Satan is lying about sexual sin. Let, Let me share with you some of the lies. Lie number one, you're immune. The first lie I think he tells us is that we will never sin sexually. We will never fall. But that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. You are susceptible to fall. I'm susceptible to fall. In Proverbs 7, 26, and I can show this to you on the screen. It says, for she has cast down many wounded. Now she means the source of temptation. She has cast down many wounded and all who were slain by her were strong men. We're strong men. See those last two words? It's talking about all the people who have fallen sexually were people who thought this will never happen to me. Everybody starts out thinking that they would never fall. But as Oswald Chambers, the famous devotional writer said that a strength unguarded is a double weakness. If you think you could never fall, you're in a dangerous place. In fact, there are two things that people say about sexual temptation that sets them up for failure. Number one, I can't fall. Or number two, that I'm somehow better than somebody who has fallen. I hear people say those two things all the time. I can't fall or I know some people who have fallen, but I'm better than them somehow. Well, either one of those things will put a target on your chest. You can fall. Don't listen to the lie of Satan. None of us are immune to sexual temptation. Now, the second lie that Satan gives us is that nobody is hurt. 
Nobody is hurt by sexual temptation. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, we're consenting adults. Nobody got hurt. Or somebody will say, it's just internet pornography. I mean, that doesn't hurt anybody, surely. Or somebody will say, uh, you know, it's just a high school friend that I met on Facebook that I hadn't seen in a few years. And, you know, she lives a thousand miles away. It doesn't really hurt anybody. Or it's, or it's just, and, and then people tell their story and they'll end it by saying, well, it doesn't hurt anybody. Listen, that's a lie from Satan. Sexual sin always brings consequences. Uh, let me read, read to you from Proverbs chapter seven, because I really want to give you a flavor of everything the book of Proverbs has to say about this. Proverbs seven twenty one. I think we have this on the screen. She seduces him. Again, she is the temptress or the temptation. She seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures with her flattering talk. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. See, there's the lie of Satan that it's not going to hurt you. But we go into sexual temptation like an ox to the slaughter. An ox doesn't know going to the slaughter he's about to become ox meat, right? He says like a deer that runs into a trap. You don't know until it's too late that there are always consequences to sexual temptation. I, uh, I think the best way to explain it is to tell you about my bug zapper. Now, I don't know if you're as big a redneck as I am, so you may not know what this is, but uh, I actually borrowed this from somebody in the church, so I know that there are some of these in Texas. Uh, do you know what a bug zapper is? And so you hang this outside uh, of your home, you, know, you plug it into an electrical source, and a couple of things happen. First of all, there is a blue light in the middle of this that glows, and this blue light, for some irrational reason, attracts bugs. I don't know what it is with bugs, but they love this blue light. They are just drawn toward this blue light. They just have this insatiable desire to get close to this blue light. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but that's the way bugs are wired. And so these bugs will fly around when it's dark outside. They will fly around this uh, blue light, mesmerized by it. And then they'll get closer and closer and closer until what happens? You, you, you've seen these before, right? Finally, the bug will come in contact with, um, with a metal electrified mesh that surrounds this blue light. And when the bug's body comes in contact with that, it'll short circuit those two uh, wires. The electricity will then run through the bug. There'll be a bright flash of light and a sizzling sound <laughs> as the bug is burned up and destroyed. Now, uh, that's interesting. It's interesting, I think, for a couple of reasons. First of all, just the irrational desire that bugs have for this blue light. I don't know what they think they're going to get out of the blue light, but uh, for some reason they're drawn to the blue light. I don't know. But the other thing I think that's interesting is that bugs just aren't very smart because these bugs will watch all of their friend bugs fly around and around and around and right into the blue light and they'll watch them sizzle and die. I mean, they're thinking, I mean, here's, uh, here's my, uh, you know, my friend, Sally, the bug, and I watch her fly in and she burns up and dies. And here's my friend, Jerry, the bug. And he, you know, he flies in and, and, and dies. I hope I didn't call anybody's by his name here. I don't know all your names, but, um, and so you see, you see these bugs fly, but, but you know, 
they're undeterred. Even after they watch their friends fly into this and die, they, what do they do? They circle a few more times and they follow right in after them. Now, here's why this is important. Now, I'm going to speak to men because I'm a man and that's easier to do. This would also be true of women, but let me just speak to men. Men, we're in many ways not much smarter than flying insects. First of all, we have this irrational uh, pull toward the forbidden sex. Uh, it's, it's hard even to understand why that would be such a pull in our lives. Uh, it's as irrational as the bugs desiring the blue light. Uh, but, but what is so tragic is all of us, I guess every man in here, at least 20 years or older, we have friends. We've watched them fly right into the blue light and see their lives destroyed. But that doesn't deter us. We follow in right after them. I have several friends, friends in the ministry, friends who used to be in the ministry. And uh, I, I know that they have watched others fly in to this and die and they have followed right in after them. That's, that's the absurd thing about this. And we do that because we believe the lie of Satan that nobody's going to get hurt. It's just a sexual thing. Nobody's going to get hurt, but they always do. Let, let me just show you, let's look back at Proverbs five a moment. Let me just show you some of the consequences that are listed here. And we could spend a long time on this, but if you look back at verse nine, he says, otherwise you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. He's talking about dishonor. Sexual sin can bring dishonor. In verse 11, he says it can bring disease. At the end of your life, you lament when your physical body has been consumed. Sexual sin can bring disease. It doesn't always, but it can. Uh, we can look to verse 12 and 13. We see it brings disappointment. He says, and you will say how I hated discipline and how my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my instructors. He's talking about looking back on your life with uh, uh, regret and disgrace. If you look over to verse 22, he, he there talks about dominion. A wicked man's iniquities will trap him. He will become tangled in the ropes of his own sin. Nothing will capture a person like sexual sin. And then verse 23, he talks about death. He will die because there is no discipline and be lost because of his great stupidity. Now he's not talking here about physical death. I, mean, I guess that could occur. He's talking about spiritual death. Now listen to your pastor. The Bible says nobody is going to strut into heaven while guilty of sexual sin. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, that pretty much covers the gamut of sexual sin. None of those people will inherit eternal life. Now, that doesn't mean that you uh, can never have an experience in your life where you have fallen, but it says that somebody who embraces sexual sin cannot at the same time be someone who embraces Christ. There are consequences to sexual sin. I uh, did something years ago when I was a youth pastor. Uh, it seems like in youth ministry, this is the number one sin that you uh, 
counsel with people about. Maybe not much changes when you're a senior pastor. But um, when I was a youth pastor, somebody challenged me to do this. And I did this years ago, 25 years ago, longer. Uh, it's changed a little bit through the years because my life has changed. I got married, I had children. But I carry with me a card that lists the consequences for sexual sin in my life. These aren't the generic consequences that the Bible mentions as serious as those are and as real as those are, but these are the consequences that would happen for me. I've got this in my wallet all the time. You, you stop me some, sometime and say, hey, let me see your card. I can pull it out and show it to you. I've always got it with me. I go on a business trip or I'm out of town by myself. I pull it out and read it. I stumble across it in my wallet from time to time when I'm looking for something else. And there it is. And it's a reminder. Can I read to you what's on my card? Number one, it would break my wife's heart and she would weep with disappointment in me. I shudder to think that I would cause that. If I fail sexually, I would have to explain to my girls, my three daughters, why I hurt their mom so badly. I would lose my ministry. I would grieve my heavenly father. I would cause the God of all joy in heaven to grieve. I would give the world license to ridicule my savior. I would become a stumbling block to others who need to be saved, but who are not. I'd have to call and tell my mother. I would have to call and tell my wife's mother. I would lose the respect of my peers. And it would be much more difficult for me to hold my kids to a high standard. See, Satan will say there are no consequences for sexual sin. I know for me there are. And these aren't all of them, but these are the worst ones in my mind. And I keep this with me all the time. We must not believe the lie of Satan that there are no consequences for sin. Uh, another lie he tells us very, just very quickly that he tells us forgiveness erases consequences. Uh, the good news is God does forgive. God does forgive. God does forgive. I want you to hear that. Uh, but just because we've been forgiven doesn't mean that the consequences are all gone. Uh, I'm uh, remodeling a house right now. And so we've pulled uh, some things off the wall and you can pull those old nails that the last owner put in the walls. Uh, but uh, the, the nail holes remain. And so God will certainly pull out the nails of sexual sin, but the scars will always remain. And so the number one thing we must do is we must not believe the lies of Satan. Number two, if, if we're going to avoid sexual sin, we must flee temptation. The Bible doesn't say to fight with sexual temptation. It says to flee, to get as far away from it as you can. First Corinthians 6, 18 is the best verse for this. It simply says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. We need to get as far away from temptation, sexual temptation as we possibly can. Let me tell you how to do that. Letter A, guard your senses. First, we must guard our senses. Proverbs 6.25, don't lust in your heart for her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyelashes. Now, what in the world does that mean? That means that women are pretty. 
I mean, that's what he says. And he says, men, if you keep looking at pretty women, uh, you will be leading yourself to a place of sexual sin. He's saying that if I'm going to flee sexual temptation, there are just certain things I don't need to look at. There are just certain things I don't need to stare at. There are just certain things I don't need to imagine in my mind and with my eyeballs or my imagination, there are just certain things I don't need to focus on because those will draw me, perhaps draw me to the place of sexual temptation. I must be careful what I look at. Uh, so men, that's a warning to you. We're, we're visual people. And through our eyes, we can allow ourselves to be tempted in terrible ways. Now, let me say a word to women. And I suppose what is true of men can also be true of women. But let me talk specifically about uh, women's roles in this matter. Men need to be careful what they look at. It's not good grammar, I know. But uh, women need to be careful that they're not presenting temptation to look at. Now, you know what I mean? I mean, sometimes I, I see how women dress and, and, I, and even in church sometimes, and I, and I wonder, do they realize that they have just enlisted with the enemy to tempt men? And I, and, and, and I, and I see women that I, I think are godly women, my assessment of them as godly women, and I think often, so I wonder, what, what are they doing? I mean, I don't really think they're trying to entice a man to sin. So why do they dress like they're dressed? I think sometimes they just don't know. They don't know the power. They don't know the effect that they have on men, but they also just don't understand the seriousness of this. The Bible says it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck than to lead somebody in, into sin. Men need to be careful what they look at. Women need to be careful what they present to be looked at. Uh, we need to uh, guard our senses. Uh, secondly, we need to guard our thoughts. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs says, a man thinks within himself, so he is. You sit around and, and um, imagine sexual scenarios and sexual sin in your mind and it will play out in your lives. Uh, let us see, we need to set some real boundaries in our lives. Uh, we see that in verse eight. Let's, let's look at that again. That's the best verse in the whole chapter. Proverbs 5, 8 says, keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. And so he's talking about, in this case, uh, in the book of Proverbs, there's this woman who's tempting uh, the, the men. And so Solomon says, well, if there's a woman who is tempting you, don't even go down her street. I mean, don't even get near her house. But what he's talking about is you need to set some real boundaries in your life. You know, my, uh, one of my biggest struggles is, is donuts. I can't believe that God moved me to a city that has 12 donut stores. And you know, they're all open at five o'clock in the morning too. I just think it's, um, I mean, it's, it's a satanic strategy for my downfall. And uh, so occasionally I just want to get out of the office. So I want to go study where there's nobody around. I just, I need to read and prepare something. And uh, so I'm thinking, you know, where can I go and sit for a couple hours and just have a diet Coke, a diet Coke. That's my favorite is a diet Coke. Well, you know, the, the best, quietest place at 11 o'clock around here in the Nacogdoches to have a Diet Coke are the donut stores, okay? So I'll go to a donut store with the intention of just getting a Diet Coke. And so um, I do have a Diet Coke and uh, about three donuts, and that just keeps the balance, you know, we're in, in a proper attunement. But um, listen, that, that's foolishness, right? I mean, I'm not telling you if I've ever really done that before, okay? That's a pastoral secret, but... Um, 
But it, you would not say I was a wise person if I, if I said I'm, I'm trying not to eat any donuts, but I'm, I'm spending two hours in a donut store on a Thursday afternoon. But, because we know that if you want to take something out of your life, you need to set some boundaries. And when it comes to sexual sin, we need to set some boundaries. There, there are certain things we don't need to look at on the internet. There are moms and dads, but for everybody, there are just certain places in your house you don't need to have a computer where nobody else can see what's going on on that computer. There are just certain phone calls you don't need to make. There are certain friend requests from people way back in high school that you hadn't talked to since the prom that you don't need to accept. There are just some boundaries you need to set in your life. That's what he says in verse 8. And then we need to lean on others. Proverbs 27, 9, oil and incense bring joy to the heart and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Let, let, let me share with you just a couple more things. If you are going to avoid sexual temptation, love your spouse. Now, all of you aren't married um, and, and that's, uh, that's okay. God will call some people to singleness and some of you are waiting to be married. Some people, uh, uh, just different stations of life right now, seasons of life. But if you're married, one of the best things you can do to avoid sexual temptation is just to love on your spouse. We read Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 a moment ago that says, delight in your spouse, delight in your wife. Uh, be lost in her love forever. Be captivated by her body. We need to, uh, we need to have a, a healthy, loving relationship with our spouse. And then number four, I'm changing this point. In your outline, it says a walk with God. And that is important, uh, but I'm going to mark that out. And, and what I want to tell you to do is to honor the Lord. I was having my quiet time, I think on Wednesday this week, and I was in first Corinthians chapter six and I came across some verses that I've read a thousand times, just like many of you, but the Lord just used these to, to speak to me about something I, you know, I'm dealing with, like a lot of people deal with in life. And, and let me read the verses to you. You don't have to look these up. I'll read them and they're pretty simple. First Corinthians six fifteen is where it begins. He says, don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? And he had said that in the verses that preceded that a couple of times that because I'm a Christian, I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in me and I am the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. So there's this union between me and Christ. We, there's a togetherness here. So he says, don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Now, I'd read that verse, like I said, a bunch of times, and I had thought that the emphasis was on prostitute. And I thought, well, of course I shouldn't unite my body with a prostitute. Never been tempted to unite my body with a prostitute. I mean, I, that's just, uh, you know, that's one thing in the Bible I guess I'm pretty good at, right? And, and you too, probably. But, but as, I, as I was just praying through this, this, uh, this week, you know, the Lord helped me understand that the emphasis here isn't on prostitute. This isn't a passage about prostitution. What this is talking about is taking your body and using it in any way that would be, that would be connected with sexual sin. The prostitute here just, just 
stands for a person who is, who is willing to be engaged with you. It, it's not about the exchange of money. It's just, it's about somebody who is a willing partner. And so it says, would you, in, would you use your body in any way that you're connecting with somebody in an illicit sexual relationship? And then the next verse says, don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh. It says that if I commit sexual sin, even if it's uh, lusting after somebody walking down the street uh, that, uh, that, that's uh, somehow attractive to me, that that, that that in a sense is taking the body of Christ, the body that is, uh, that is indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God and, and, and using that for some unwholesome uh, practice. First Corinthians six seventeen. the next verse says, but anyone joined to the Lord is one with him in spirit. We read verse 18 a moment ago. So let me skip that verse 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You have been bought at a price. So glorify or honor the Lord. You know, when I was a youth pastor, the most common question that I would be asked uh, by teenagers who were somewhat serious about living for the Lord was how far can I go on a date and it not be sin? And uh, that's a tough question to answer, right? Especially now that I'm a parent because now it has changed. But uh, how far can I go on a, on a date and and it not be sin? Now, adults ask the same question. They're just a little more sophisticated about it. But uh, uh, they ask the same, same question. So, so what's the answer to the question? Well, the problem is it's the wrong question. What, we focus too much on, you know, how bad can we be and it not be too bad? What this is saying is let's recognize that we have the Holy Spirit living in us and let's ask, let's ask the question, how can I use my body, meaning my physical body, my mind and my heart, how can I use my body to best bring honor to the Lord? You know what I wanted some teenager to ask me was, uh, youth pastor Noel, how can I best honor the Lord on my date? I mean, that's the question that's, you know, people say, well, you know, we will get real explicit right here, but you know, men ask me, especially singles ask me, you know, can we, can, what about this? And what about that? And can I look at this and can I do that? And you know, we're focusing on the wrong thing. What we need to do if we're going to overcome sexual temptation is we need to focus on honoring God, not figuring out where some line is and get as close to the line as we possibly can. I am not my own. I'm bought with a price. The Holy Spirit lives in me. I must honor the Lord with my body and with my heart and with my mind. Now, I, I, I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't mention this as we close. What about the situation where you've already fallen? Because I, I know I'm talking to a lot of people here and, and, and between you know, the services, the TV broadcast and all the people who watch on the internet, I, I'm talking to people in all kinds of situations. And so what about people who have already fallen? Or maybe people who right now are in a, 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 a situation that involves sexual sin. Well, let me answer that. First of all, you need Christ in your life if you don't have him. Uh, I, I think not everybody who is involved in sexual sin, but many people who are involved in sexual sin, the, the real problem is you just don't have Christ in your life. And you are hopeless in the face of your sin. Without Christ, there's no hope. 
You're just going to go whichever way the world drags you. And, and, and the first thing you need to do is acknowledge that you need Christ, that you're guilty of sin, that you're out of control, and that your only hope is Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross, that you would surrender your life to him and trust what he offers, that kind of forgiveness. So that's where it begins. But the second thing, if you know Christ or you choose to surrender to Christ today, the second thing you've got to do is confess your sin. There are too many people who just try to redirect the ship a little bit and that, that won't ever work. You've got to come clean before the Lord. There has to be a time when you're on your knees before the Lord confessing, listen, I'm guilty of the sin of adultery. I'm, I'm guilty of lust in my heart. I'm guilty of internet pornography. I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. You've got to confess your sin. You've got to come, come clean before the Lord with respect to that. And then the third thing, because there's the part we leave off. Um, so over the years, I've talked to many people involved in sexual sin, men and women, uh, boys and girls, when you think about teenagers, uh, but people of all ages, I've talked to many, many, I've been a pastor, I don't know, it seems like a thousand years, it's been, I don't know, 20 years, but uh, talked to a lot of people. And I've noticed some patterns. Some people get back with the Lord and they walk with the Lord the rest of their lives. Many people do not. In fact, more don't than do. It's been my experience. So I've noticed what, I've noticed what makes the difference. It's not that you're real emotional over the sin. I mean, I've had men and women sit in my office or us sit in their living room and I've seen and witnessed them just bawling over their sin, just with regret and, and remorse and just, oh, just wailing for their sin. And you know, some of those people walked uh, with the Lord and some of them didn't. So, so it's not how sorry you are for your sin or at least how emotional you are for your sin. That's not the difference. The difference is not even whether or not you come to church because I know people who come to church every single week, but they're involved in sexual sin. Here's, here's the difference. After you know Christ as your savior and you confess your sins to the Lord, you need to confess your sins to somebody else. L listen to James chapter five, verse 16. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. The people who, who move past this are the men who can call a friend and say, I want you to know I am struggling with internet pornography. Or I am struggling. I got a call from my high school girlfriend of 10 years ago or 30 years ago. I'm struggling. And I have confessed to God and I'm taking steps to make sure that doesn't happen again. But I'm asking you as a godly man, I'm confessing my sin to you. And I'm asking you to pray for me and to hold me accountable. And I want you to call me in three days and ask me how I'm doing. And I want you to make me tell you the truth. And I will tell you the truth. And I want you to love me through this, but I need somebody to help me. That's the missing piece that makes all the difference. Listen, as your pastor, I want to protect you. I want to protect your, your lives. I want to protect your happiness, your joy, your marriages, your family, your children. And mostly, I want to protect how you bring honor and glory to God. The most dangerous temptation for all of us, for most of us, is this temptation of sexual attraction. 
may we walk with God and honor him all the days of our lives. Let us keep the flame in the box so it'll be a blessing, not a curse. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed, let's pray. Father, you are so good to us with both your instructions, your conviction in our hearts. And Father, I know people here even now are under great conviction. And, and Father, for your forgiveness and restoration. And I don't believe there's a person here that's not guilty of some sexual sin. It has different labels. It's had different effects. It's been different sin, but it's, but this is something everybody struggles with. Help us to live a life by your Holy Spirit's power that embraces forgiveness and honors you with our bodies, physically and in our hearts and minds. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing, make commitments before the Lord.